When once again reading or hearing about the utterly epic event of the Israelites escaping Egyptian oppressors through that miraculous parting of the Red Sea, we can focus on the silver screen studio catch basin magic of Cecil D. DeMille and Charlton Heston, or I suggest concentrate on a particular single panel comic that has been a favorite of mine along with all the other Reverend Fun comics for years. It features a guy standing right in the middle of the parted waters and he's donning sea diving gear and an inflatable floaty. And I have to appreciate how profoundly Moses stands there and remarks by saying, I think you've got some serious faith issues. How often have you thought beyond trying to explain the mysterious miracle of this escape story? How often have you considered focusing farther than on the legendary heroic leadership of Moses? How often have you found yourself standing there in the middle of a divide, somewhere between here and there, with every oppressive pain of your past still pursuing you? with holy promises of peace and justice calling on you to just keep moving forward, with all the emotional safety gear and financial security you can attach to yourself, somewhere between here and there with all the pillar of God revealing light right there before you and behind you. I find it helpful to remember that some days we feel like the fleeing Israelites and other days we are a lot like the stuck-in-the-mud Egyptians. Stay tuned for part two. What about them? Many faithful folks, myself included, find it kind of hard to read the part of this epic story where we are told that God causes the Egyptian army to panic and then God traps their chariot wheels so there was no hope of escaping when the sea walls crashed back into place. On the one hand, this is cause for cheerful celebration. Worldly mighty Pharaoh has been foiled, his army vanquished. Eternally mighty God gains the victory. The long-suffering people are saved. They are delivered. This is a foreshadow of Easter morning. But, as I just mentioned, what's up with God throwing a whole lot of other human beings into a panic? intervening to trap them to death. Why couldn't they just have been allowed to turn back and do what was originally asked of them, namely to let God's people go? I've just opened a can of questioning worms and the worms are as big as the biblical sea monster Leviathan. Each one may invite deep sea murky doubts about the good nature of God. I mean, does God favor some children over others? Why doesn't God deliver those with hardened hearts who stubbornly refuse to listen and thus get stuck in the mud? Now, if we're reading today's text literally, there really isn't much more to say. However, if we prayerfully and carefully study it and gain an understanding of Exodus as literary narrative, then the can of doubting worms can become a cup of gracious wonder. Instead of doubting God's intentions or cursing what we perceive as God's wrath, we can read narrative stories in the Bible as more than literal historical fact. We can read them as making faithful statements that a particular faith community needs to hear. 
We then ask why the author of Exodus 14 described God as acting in this way. Now there are many answers for that, depending on which scholars you ask. I decided to check in on what one branch of conservative Jewish culture, Hasidic Jews, had to say about this text. Honestly, I expected them to take the text more literally, to side with the punishing wrath of God for enemies. That is the bias that I carried into my reading the text and learning a little bit more about more than just what Hasidic Jews look like. I assumed they paralleled some not particularly compassionate conservative Christian streams of belief. Then I discovered a traditional Hasidic story that goes beyond the literal text to make the bigger point about God's loving mercy for all. It tells of a great celebration in heaven after the Israelites are delivered from the Egyptians at the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies are drowned. The angels are cheering and dancing. Everyone in heaven is full of joy. And then one of the angels asks the archangel Michael, where is God? Why isn't God here celebrating? And Michael answers, God is not here because God is off by himself weeping. You see, many thousands were drowned today. Similarly is another old Hasidic story about a rabbi who once asked his students how they could tell when the night had ended and the day had begun. Is it when you see an animal in the distance and can distinguish whether it's a sheep or a dog, asked one student? No, answered the rabbi. Is it when you can look at a tree from a distance and tell whether it's a fig tree or a peach tree, asked another student? No, replied the rabbi. Then what is it, the students demanded. It is when you look upon the face of any man or woman and see that this is your sister or brother, because if you cannot see this, it is still night. Stay tuned for part three, Endless Empathy. If you truly commit to following the God of the Exodus and the God of the Cross, you really have no choice but to be filled with ocean-deep empathy. You know what happens when you aren't? When you aren't filled with ocean-deep empathy, you know. You get stuck in the mud. You get swallowed by seawalls of sinful, evil rebellions against our Creator, who declared this world good and humankind a mere reflection. The army of the Pharaoh could have freely chosen to stop their pursuit, but that wasn't going to happen given the tyrannical nature of the Pharaoh. Saying that God hardened the Pharaoh's heart, I, I find that too easy an explanation. It seems it's always easier to just sidestep the very human responsibility to have empathy for others by blaming an eternal hand. Let's face it, that tyrant and his minions were straight up dead set against giving up their slave labor. They blindly buried themselves by not seeing the light, you know, the pillar of divinely reforming fire that was right there in their presence. The crossing of the Red Sea is about moving forward, trusting the light of God's guiding hand. It's about not letting a flood of evil cause you or any brother and sister to perish. It's about helping one another live into the rescuing light of God's promises, especially when forces of oppression are in hot pursuit. It's about not getting stuck in the mud in the Red Sea, nor the garden mud outside of the tomb, where Jesus was seemingly buried forever. Maybe you've heard the story about the flood victim sitting atop his roof, demanding God miraculously come to the rescue. 
days and days came to pass, and the demand to be divinely delivered seemed, seemed to the man to be unmet. Upon starting to curse God for this, God decided it was time to personally respond. And so the man became aware of a voice within, saying, You are the one who chose not to see the helicopters and the boats that I sent to rescue you. Here's my question for you today. What's your mud? What tyrannical false gods are you worshipping that get you stuck, unable to fully move forward for the gospel? From helping to truly free yourself and others for the sake of Christ-like forgiveness and justice and peace and hope and above all love. What's your mud? Pray your answers. Let go. And let God. Amen.